right. Well, if you think it's too cold in Oymyakin, Russia, it's negative 60 right now, all right? And so we got 60 degrees on them, and so uh, that, that ain't too bad. But uh, hey, welcome to Genesis Today. My name is Paul. I'm the lead pastor here. Thanks for coming out to worship with us this morning. Uh, this past December, we invited you to join us in an incredible act of generosity. Every year, uh, we take a Christmas offering together as a church family, and then we give it all away. Uh, give it away to ministry partners and missionaries locally and around the world. And I've got some really big news to share with you this morning. You'd like to hear some fun, big news to start the, the day? So last year, just to give you some perspective, we were able to give away 115000 dollars look what we did this year it took my breath away a hundred and sixty six thousand seven hundred and three dollars and uh, I mean it did it when I heard that number the other day it just took my breath away of thinking about you and our church family and again what we're able to accomplish together let me tell you a couple of fun things about that last year we had a hundred and sixty different people participate from what we can tell and know in the Christmas offering this year we had 255 people uh, and families participate in the Christmas offering on top of that uh, about from what we know 30 first time gifts people that had never given to Genesis 4 that's some of you can we just celebrate all of that and just say thank you uh, again and certainly do our Lord uh, it's so exciting, and in case you wonder what happens now, well, we're going to give it all away. Uh, and so over the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to do that, not only to ministry partners, but also, as we said, we're going to take a portion of it uh, to invest in, in GSM and Gen Kids here, specifically to help keep conference costs low. Like, for example, to take charter buses to those events, those camps, it costs between ten, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 a year, all covered, all going to be taken care of this year uh, because of the Christmas offering, and so we're we're grateful for that, but I just want to point out, like, what a great example of what God can do through our collective generosity, you know, when we all get on board. I, one of the things that was so special to me was hearing how many kids and students gave to the Christmas offering. I had parents say, my kid gave for the very first time ever this year as a part of the Christmas offering. And so we are grateful for that. We're grateful for every single gift. And again, just a reminder of what we can do together. Genesis is a generous church. Uh, and we're a generous church because you're generous people uh, and because we have a generous God. And uh, he modeled, he is the greatest example, the greatest gift of generosity was the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. And so I, I hope you'll jump in with us. For some of you that made a decision back in November of, hey, I'm going to start my giving uh, in January, I would just want to encourage you to jump in with us and to continue giving and to see what God does through that. And so uh, just remind you, you can give every week when you come. There are giving boxes in the back of the room. You can also give online as well. And uh, thanks thanks for your generosity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you and praise you because it's all because of you. It's all from you. We know that you can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask for or imagine, uh, even with our gifts, God. And so uh, with what has been taken and received now, we pray that you would bless it and that you would use it in incredible ways uh, around the world here locally and through our ministry to students and kids, Lord. We want to see many more people find their way back to God. Thank you for uh, the people that have given 
Uh, we pray for your work, your work in our lives. We want more of you. We want uh, you to lead uh, in every part of who we are. And so have your way in us and have your way uh, through our church. And uh, thanks for what you're doing here this morning. We thank you that we can be here today on this cold morning. Thank you for heat. Uh, thank you for uh, running water. Uh, thank you for uh, safe roads uh, for every person here. Uh, speak to our hearts now. Speak through me. Uh, do what you need and want to do in our lives. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Um, I'm not sure how you see it, but I've come to believe that there are at least two types of people in this world. And I want you to let me know whether you agree or not. That when it comes to, we'll just use this as an example, when it comes to uh, your car or when it comes to your gas gauge, there are those who live like this. Right? How many of you are like this? Right? You keep the thing filled up. All right. You're like my dad. All right. My dad, it never drops below about halfway. He's kind of of the opinion there are plenty of gas stations. There's really no reason to ever go below halfway on your gas gauge. And so there are those who live like this. And then there are those who live like this, right? How, how many of you uh, live in this world, right? Uh, how many of you live with somebody who lives in this world and it drives you crazy, right? It drives you insane because you just can't imagine any other way because there are plenty of gas stations, right? But some of you, you treat your fuel indicator light like a little game, right? Like every time it comes on, it's another opportunity to see just how far you can push your car. And so it's a game for you. You're the free spirit. Spirits, you're the rebels, right? Everyone ought to be like you. Two types of people, two types of people. There are those who live kind of the mostly full, and there are those that are running on empty. Interestingly, this little illustration applies uh, to something else about life. Um, and honestly, I think it's probably true of more of us uh, than we realize. And, and I also realize that this question is a little fair coming off of the holidays and the start of a new year and you know, getting back to school this past week. But for how many of you does this picture illustrate how you're feeling right now? Like as you just think about your relationships, uh, as you think about how you're feeling physically, uh, as you think about, you know, your mind and kind of the mental energy that it takes, you know, as you look ahead to this upcoming week or as you think about this year and some of the tasks or obstacles that are before you or before your marriage or or let me ask it like this like how many man how many of you feel like you're just running on empty right now you know Jenny and I we man we feel it I I feel it for sure we just finished a uh, a really busy fall, uh, really busy, you know, November and December and all the extra things at church. We, we got away, thankfully, for some vacation time. The first week of January got into the, to the sun. We didn't do much of anything, but I'll tell you what, by day three, I was exhausted, right? You, you know that feeling, you haven't been doing anything, but you're just coming down, you know, trying to decompress, worn out. We've been so busy, always on the go, always hurrying. And my guess is that I'm not alone. My guess is that for many of us, we kind of feel this, we live like this because when it comes to, to being busy, when it comes to hurry, well, we're great at this as Americans, 
we're so good at our busyness and hurry. Like we go all day, all week long, and we love it. We accept it as the norm, especially in a place like Hamilton County. Like we treat our pace and our busyness like a trophy or something, you know, like some sort of accomplishment in our lives. And so we never slow down. And for too many of us, we're overextended. We run on fumes. And our busyness really becomes like this drain that depletes us, anything left we have left to give. And it's not good. Like when we stop and think about it, like it's not good. It's not good for any of us. It's not good for your kids. It's not good for the people in your life. It's not good for your faith. It's not good for our relationship with the Lord. Michael Zigarelli is a, a college prof. He studied and wrote about hurry and its impact on our faith. And in a survey of over 20,000 Christians across the globe, uh, he concluded some of these things on, on hurry and faith. He concluded this, that first, Christians are no different than anyone else when it comes to hurry and the pace that we keep. And so we blend in. We, we don't stand out in any way. Number two, that God, because of it, God is becoming even more marginalized in our lives, which number three leads to this deteriorating relationship with God. And finally, it leads to Christians, really, when you think about it, becoming even more vulnerable and accepting of secular beliefs in our culture today. Bottom line is this, that our busyness messes with everything. Uh, it messes with our relationships, our health, the way we think about and we process things, most importantly, our relationship with the Lord, which makes this next statement by pastor and writer John Orberg all the more terrifying because he said this about hurry and about faith. He said, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, it is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. Isn't that good? Let me just stop right there and hang on those words. I, I read over that, I read that over vacation, and I couldn't help but think this. So many of our young people today are ditching their faith and for all sorts of different reasons. As a parent, I think we need to stop and ask, does the pace we keep, is the pace that we're forcing or allowing our kids to live, are we doing more harm to them than we realize? But how do you slow down, right? I mean, where, where does it stop? One more activity. You know it. You know the drill. I do. One more lesson, one more night out, one more travel team, one more tournament. We don't stop. And when we do get tired, so often we'll cut things like church out or we'll say, you know, a kid doesn't have time to be a part of GSM or these events. The, the weekly grind is not good for any of us, especially when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. But what if I told you this? What if I told you there was a better way, that there's a different, better weekly rhythm. And get this, it's from the Lord, and he created it, and it's part of his gift to us. And I also think this too, honestly, I think we all get tired of it. No matter who you are, I think we get tired of the busyness. I think we get tired of the pace, and we'd love a different way. We'd love to find a way out. We just don't know how. And so last week, we kicked off this month-long series called Strong Start. It's the beginning of a new year. What does it look like to put some better practices, disciplines into our life that could help us, if applied, grow closer in our relationship with Jesus and, and with others? And so all month long, we've got four different speakers. Uh, Michael Amatuza was here last week talking about what it means to study the Word of God. And I'm going to share today. And then next week, Steve Davis, one of our elders, is going to share. And then Jerry Neville, the following week, will come over from our Carmel campus 
and then we're all jumping over to our Carmel campus to share these messages too. But last week, Michael talked about the importance of God's word and meditating on it. If you missed that message, you should go to our website and check it out. Today, I want to talk to you about Sabbath rest, which may be familiar to you, to others of you. It might be a very foreign concept, but Sabbath rest is a way, I'm going to keep it as simple as I can, it's a way of ordering your life around this weekly pattern, okay? It's simple. Six days a week, you do all the work. One day a week is different. You rest. And with that day of rest, a chance to break from the routine, uh, a chance to experience something new and life-giving so that we ultimately might better understand who we are, who God is, and how life was intended to be lived in this world. And so turn in your Bibles uh, today to the Old Testament, uh, the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 20. A uh, little heads up, when we get to the month of Ex- or, uh, February, we're going to study the book of Exodus together as a church. That's going to take us all the way through the spring, and so there'll be a reading plan with that. Uh, more to come. But Exodus chapter 20 today, uh, let me kind of set the stage for you. Some of you know this story. God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, he led them into a place in the wilderness called Mount Sinai, as I heard someone once say, Sinai is the place where God married his people. In Exodus chapter 6, God said, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And so if Sinai is where the wedding happened, Torah or law is like God's wedding gift to his bride. With it, God was ready to instruct his people how to live right and faithfully on the earth. And within Torah, you'll also find what we know as the Ten Commandments. And it's fair to say that the Ten Commandments provide a pretty good summary of all the laws contained in Torah. But here's what's interesting about the Ten Commandments. The first three describe how we relate to God. Uh, The last six uh, have to do with how we relate to one another. The fourth in the middle, this commandment is unique. It's unlike the others, and it sits curiously in the middle of two categories. Let's read it together, Exodus 20, beginning in verse 8. Let me read it for you. God says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Now, emphasis here on the word remember, all right? It's God's way of saying that there's something special about this commandment. There's something special about Sabbath rest, something life-giving and essential for us. But the fact is that we tend to look at Sabbath rest uh, as something of the past, or it's something that your your grandparents did, or it's old-fashioned, it's optional, it's something for weirdos, or something like that. But the truth is that God has something very special in mind for each of us when it comes to Sabbath. In fact, we would just say this, that Sabbath rest is a gift. This is a gift from God, the opportunity to take one day a week as a day of rest, as a gift from him, a way of living that when you think about it and if applied can make all of the difference in how we function in this world. Now, how do we better understand the intent of Sabbath? Well, we've had Brad Gray to teach here before. Uh, He talks about this helpful Bible study method known as the principle of first usage basically this, that when you come across a word like Sabbath in the Bible, it's helpful to ask, where was this word first used in Scripture? That first use tends to provide better clarity of it. Does anyone know where the word Sabbath is used first in Scripture? Hold on, because if you're thinking the creation account in Genesis, that's what I thought too. 
but actually the first use of the word Sabbath is found just a few pages away in Exodus chapter 16. And just to give you some context there, before the people got to Sinai, they've been traveling in the wilderness, they're hungry, they're searching for food, and Exodus 16 shows us how God is going to provide for them. He provided quail in the evening and a bread-like substance called manna. Uh, Moses, their leader, instructed the people uh, to gather only as much as they needed each day, all right? No more, no less. And there were some struggles with this. Some gathered too much only to find it be spoiled the next day, but they eventually, basically, they learned their lesson. But let's look at these words together. Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse 21. We read, each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, though, think about this. They gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, when the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow, the seventh, is to be a Sabbath rest, a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left over and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. And this is where we find it. The first use of Sabbath, or the Hebrew word Shabbat. And it comes from a verb that means to stop, to break, and interestingly, can also mean to delight. And so God's people are beginning to understand Sabbath rest as a gift from God, a break from the grind, the routine, or the weekly work. But I want you to also see how it's an issue of faith and trust as well. Because if you think about it, can you imagine, can you see how if you, how if you were an Israelite living in the desert, how your faith would daily and regularly be put to the test. And God is using then all of this to strengthen their faith and trust and dependence in him, teaching his people to trust. Think about, can you see how practicing Sabbath rest for us today can require that same level of trust? I mean, if I'm going to take, if I'm going to consider taking one day a week and making it different than all of the others, to break from the work, that means... That means trusting God that he's going to provide for all of my needs. It's, it's trusting God that I'm going to be able to get all of the work around the business. I'm going to be able to get all of the work around the heart, the house and, and the yard done. Like it, It's trusting God that one less tournament or one less team isn't going to impact your kid going pro. It's, it's trusting God that one day a week away from the homework isn't going to ruin you. See, so much of practicing Sabbath is learning to trust. I'm forced to ask, will I trust God? And try it for a while. If you've ever tried it, you know this. If you haven't tried it, and try it. You're going to find this out. You'll see how quickly we tend to find our value and our meaning in our busyness. Back to Exodus 20 for a second. A couple of things that make the other things that make the fourth commandment unique. Interestingly, it's the longest of the commandments. You know, you can see that for yourself. It, it's also the only commandment that includes a story and an event. And what's the event? Well, let's look at it together. Again, Exodus 20, uh, verse 8. We'll add verse 11 this time. And we read this already. Remember the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. Six days you should do the work. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. Skip down to verse 11. For in six days 
The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so what's the event? There it is. It's the creation account. And if you read, you can do this on your own, if you read through Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you'll see how God created the earth, and there's an order to it. There's a rhythm, there's a cadence to his creation. Because for God, he worked, and he created for six days, but on the seventh day, he finished his work, and he rested. And why did God take a break? I mean, did he, did he really get to the end of the creation and say, man, I need a day to myself? No, with his rest, God provided for us, for you and me, an example that we should follow. Like the fourth commandment is tied to what God did. He finished his work and then he created the Sabbath and he rested and he called it a holy day. And what the creator of the universe created and modeled, he is inviting us to do the same. Like he created a rhythm to be implemented to the way we think about our work and to think about rest, and to think about our weekly schedule. It's God's way of saying that your life is so much more than all you can cram into it between now and the grave. But it's hard, right? We know this. I know this. I live in this community, too. I have kids. Like, we know, you know how hard it is to slow down and something else. Our culture does not permit us to live this way. And you know that. You know that especially if you're, you're trying to get through school or grad school on, on top of a job right now. Um, you, you know this if you're working two jobs to, to provide for your family. Like, you know what little time you have. I mean, I was talking with somebody after this first service. Like, if, if you have kids and they're involved in even one activity, you know how much time that activity and that one commitment takes. If you're, a, if you're single or if you're a single parent, honestly, I don't know how you do what you do. But somehow and in some way, we have to learn this very important lesson. And that is, we're not machines. Like God didn't create you to run on fumes, to, to run on empty, but we go and we go and we never slow down. We've made life so complicated and we've made it so hectic. Um, so much of what I've enjoyed learning about the subject of Sabbath rest and, um, and uh, even with what I'm sharing uh, today, and we've talked about this book before and many of you have read it. It's a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, uh, a pastor by the name of John Mark Comer. And if you're looking for a book to read, it's a great book. He's a fun writer. Uh, he does a great job of unpacking this subject and really in a very practical way, helping us as followers of Jesus think about how we might apply uh, something like Sabbath rest in our lives. And, and in his book, he addresses, amongst many things, the idea of culture and the grind we find ourselves in and the impact that it's having on us, and he, ex he references what he calls a little social experiment uh, conducted uh, back during the French Revolution, so going all the way back to 1789, and he explains it like this. He says, during the revolution, the French abandoned the seven-day work week and switched to a 10-day work week in order to up productivity. The result, he writes, disaster. Amongst other things, the economy crashed, the suicide rate skyrocketed, and productivity, guess what? It actually went down. 
Comer writes, he says, it's been proven study after study that there's zero correlation between hurry and productivity. In fact, once you work a certain number hours a week, uh, your productivity will plummet. And want to know what that number is, that magic number is? Experts say 50 hours. The irony, that's about a six-day work week. He adds, another study found that there was zero difference in productivity between workers who logged 70 hours a week and those who logged 55. He ends with this question, could God be speaking to us through our tired bodies? It makes you wonder, could he be speaking to you and me through our exhaustion? You're not a machine. You were made in the image of God. We're not supposed to go all day, all week long, never slowing down. And the good news is you don't have to. We don't have to. The beautiful truth is that Sabbath rest for us provides a better way. Once again, Sabbath rest means a different weekly rhythm. Six days a week you do all of the work. One day gets set aside to rest. Part of my challenge for you today is to consider as we go into this year how you might apply and practice something like Sabbath rest in your life and in your home. And as you'll find, if you choose to study this on your own, like God has a lot to say about Sabbath and how we experience it. And it's not a coincidence either that Jesus is going to come along in the New Testament and have a lot to say about Sabbath and how we experience it too because Jesus is the perfect model for how we live life and how you do life well and how Sabbath should be observed. And Jesus always observed the Sabbath every week. And this type of living spilled over into all of his days. He would spend time regularly with people, but then he'd also retreat to be alone with his father. He uh, enjoyed meals with people. He was always slowing down. We never see Jesus in a hurry. You never see a busy Jesus. He, he would observe the Sabbath, and then he would let this kind of living spill over into every other day of the week. But the Sabbath type of living isn't just something for the Son of God, because it was Jesus who said in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, that the Sabbath was made for a man, not man for the Sabbath. And if you know the story and context at all, there were religious leaders who were trying to attach a bunch of rules and regulations and restrictions to the Sabbath, so much that it was becoming a burden for people. But Sabbath was never intended to be a burden, but a gift, a gift from God. And just one note, it doesn't have to be the same day of the week for everyone. I mean, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 14 reminds us that no one day is more sacred or holier than any other day. But here's what I want to do before we close. Just for a moment, because this is a lot to pack into one message. But if anything, I hope it's, it's creating some curiosity for you, maybe to do a little more studying on your own. But just for a moment, uh, I want to end with this question of like, what does Sabbath rest look like? What could it look like? Uh, in my life or in yours. And, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time again on these. Again, I'd highly recommend this book by Comer. And if you love the subject, I've got some other books that I've read along the way. Maybe you've got some resources we could share with one another. But practically speaking, like if Sabbath rest is one day a week to stop uh, doing the work and to delight with this gift from God, like what does that day look like? And it may look different for each of us but I believe it needs to involve at least three things. The first thing we'd say is this, that it's a day to rest. All right, it's a day to rest. And I, I won't tell you what your Sabbath and what rest looks like for you or your family, but I will say this. When Sabbath rest is done right, Sabbath rest involves rest because there is a time to hurry. 
And there is nothing wrong with working and working hard. Like we were made to work, it, made to work. It was part of how God creative, created us. But just like running the RPMs on your car too high and for too long will ruin the engine, like our bodies aren't much different. And so we need rest and we need rest in order to live life well. And so rest can mean different things for all sorts of different people. And that's true whether you're a student, uh, if you're single, if you're a single parent, uh, uh, if you're a parent of young kids or older kids, whatever, like moms and dads, if you have young kids, like it's a challenge, right? I mean, it's, it's different. It's challenging to think about Sabbath rest. And so you might have to get creative in thinking about, okay, how can we work together to make sure that there's rest, that there's a nap or something. But the challenge, and this takes practice, is figuring out what rest means and looks like for you. But I'll tell you what it should mean every time. That your day of rest should mean taking a break from whatever is work for you. And whether that's work around the house or work around the office or with school. And find ways of resting from the work so that you can be refreshed and renewed and recharged. The second thing is this, is it's a day to live. And this might be a real game changer for some of you when it comes to thinking about Sabbath rest. Because if you grew up in a legalistic home, uh, if you grew up hearing that Sabbath is about restrictions and no fun, like I don't think that's the intent of Sabbath rest at all. I believe that Sabbath is a day to live. It's a day to enjoy. It's a day to play and to know the joy of being alive. John Mark Comer says that even as adults, we need to learn to play again. We need to learn to have fun and to discover those things that breathe life into us. And so part of what you need to ask is what are those activities that breathe life into you? Is it a hobby? Is it crafts or, or games? I mean, maybe you love exercise or sports or, or competing at something. I mean, for some people, it can be a ride, a long ride in your car or on your motorcycle or on your bike. Maybe it's working out in your shop or in the garden or something. Maybe it's cooking or eating good food. Ruth Haley Barton says this about Sabbath living. She says, Sabbath means a nap. Uh, it means a walk, a bike ride. It means wearing your favorite jog pants. It's a, a long bubble bath if you're into that. It's uh, eating your favorite foods. And she points out no dieting on the Sabbath. It's sitting in the sun. It's playing a, a pickup game of football with your kids and neighbors. It's lighting candles. It's enjoying good times with good friends. I'm be real honest with you. I've done an awful job at observing Sabbath we have in our life recently. But hey, it's a new year. That's why we're doing this series, right? The, the new year is a new time for new practices. But for Jenny and I, when we're getting this right, we make every effort to take one day a week and just make sure that day feels different than all of the others. And because Sunday's a work day for me, we use Friday, we use Saturday most weeks. Some weeks it's really, really hard to pull off. Uh, some weeks it comes a little more naturally. Some, some, some Sabbath days for us, it's just a part of the day. But we make every effort to break from the work. Or as Jenny likes to say, Sabbath rest for us is a day of not have-tos, but a day of get-tos. What are the things that we get to do? Rest, slow down, spend good quality time together as a family or with friends. And because Jenny normally does most of the cooking around our home, she doesn't cook unless she feels like it. And so we'll eat a meal out or I'll cook or we'll cook together as a family. Um, I don't mow the yard unless I feel like it. And sometimes on my Sabbath rest, I enjoy mowing the yard, you know. 
We get outside if we can be outside. We make it a point to spend time alone with the Lord. We try to involve our kids, again, by spending quality time with them or letting them spend extra time enjoying the things that they enjoy. We're still trying to figure out how it all works for us, and that seems to be changing new stages of life. Sometimes it's hard. Other times it comes naturally and it goes well. You'll know you're getting somewhere, all right, when you notice that it's not going well or when you feel like uh, a day is swiped from you, you'll know you're making progress in this. But I love what Dan Allender says about the heart of Sabbath and living. He writes this, he says, the Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it's the best day of the week. It's the day we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, and the day we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, play, dance, husbands and wives, have sex, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, walk, and watch creation in its fullness. Don't overthink it. Part of the practice is figuring out what brings you joy and life and rest. And finally, it's a day to remember. It's a day to remember as the Lord commanded the people of Israel to remember. The idea here is that our Sabbath time should include time to think and reflect and remember. It's a good time to consider how we're doing in life, how we're doing in our most important relationships as, as parents, as siblings, as spouse or kids. It's a, it's a day to evaluate, to reevaluate priorities. Like the, harbeth, the, the, excuse me, the heart of Sabbath is so much more than just observing a day a week. This is about getting all of life right. And most importantly, Sabbath is also a time to remember your relationship with God, uh, to spend time with him, reading from the word, time in your Bible, time in prayer, time just being quiet, as as Steve Davis is going to talk about next week, away from the distractions. Because I don't know if you know this about our God, but he loves spending time with you. And he created you. And he enjoys watching you enjoy life. And if he created Sabbath for you and me, isn't it right that we at least spend part of our day with him? And one of the greatest lessons that you and I can ever learn from this, from anything, all of life really is just this, that nothing, absolutely nothing will ever satisfy us the way that God can. Like only he can satisfy yours and my deepest desires. And he created the Sabbath and he created it as an opportunity to break from the work, to rest, to play, and to enjoy him for who he truly is. You know, I was thinking about some of the major world religions and how we and each of these religions experience their form of God in some cases, you know, differently, similar, whatever it may be. Take, for example, this first one, the Western Wall, also known as the Wailing Wall. It's the most religious site for the Jewish people. It's located in the old city in Jerusalem. It's the last remaining outer wall of the ancient Jewish temple and, again, an incredibly important site of modern Israeli history. Mecca, 
this next one is the birthplace of the Prophet Muhammad. The, the Kaaba is located in the center of the great mosque in Mesa, Mecca and considered by the Muslim people to be the most sacred spot on earth. And, and, and thus Mecca is a deeply spiritual destination uh, for Muslims all over the world and is considered the heart uh, of Islam. If you grew up around Catholicism, uh, you know that St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican City, Rome, is one of the holiest sites of the Catholic tradition. It's traditionally considered the burial site of St. Peter, uh, who was the head of the 12 uh, apostles of Jesus. And according to tradition, uh, the first bishop of Antioch, the later the first bishop of Rome, rendering him the first uh, pope. And if you've seen it, I've seen it, you can't explain it without visiting it and seeing it with your own eyes. But we live in a, a world of change and People are finding meaning and value in all sorts of things. Take Sedona, for example. Uh, Sedona is famous for its so-called vortex sites, spots where some believe the Earth's energy is supposedly increased, leading to self-awareness and various kinds of healing. As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ and the only true God, our God isn't limited to a particular place, a particular day. He is available everywhere at all times and to anyone who would go searching for him. And Jesus, our Savior, made that possible. The Son of God, with his death and his life, through the death and life of Jesus Christ, one of the benefits that you and I have is that we can go directly to God and the Holy Spirit makes that possible for us. The very presence of God makes that possible anywhere, anytime, and any place. And Sabbath rest, setting aside one day a week, is one incredibly important way that we encounter him and for who he really is and what he desires for your life and mine. Will you bow your heads with me? And as we close here today, we're going to sing. We're going to sing a prayer together here in just a moment. I just want to recognize that for each of us, we might be coming at the subject for a number of different directions. You know, maybe somebody today is sitting here and believing, man, I, I need this. I want this. I, I need to apply something like this to my life. And uh, for others of you, maybe you're sitting here today and you know you're busy and you know it's hectic and you know that you're always on the go. But right now, impossible seems like the only word that is coming to mind for you. Like, how could you ever apply something like this to your life? Can I just ask you to hand this over to the Lord this morning? Because if you're curious, if you desire something more, if you desire a change in your life, just hand it over to him. Tell him that you need his help, that you need direction, you need wisdom, you need the guts, you need the discipline to make some change in your life or for your family. I pray, just pray that he'll show you the way and what that looks like. For others of you today, like what you need more than anything is you need the Lord in your life. You've never invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And uh, that's God's gift free, free gift to you. He offers his son who offers us life. And, and yes, that means eternity in heaven, but it's so much more than that. Like Jesus invites us into a new way of living, a way of doing life right in this world, something that is best and something that is better. And if you're craving that and you desire more of Jesus or if you want to follow him, man, we'd love to take those next steps with you. Don't hesitate to reach out after the service today, to pray today, Lord Jesus, I, I want to follow you wherever you're seated right now. But I also want to say this, for some of you today, maybe it's 
you're not sure what this looks like. You, you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Like he, he is your Savior. But whatever it is and whatever it's going to take, what you're recognizing this morning is you just need the more of the Lord in your life. You need more of the Lord in your marriage right now. You need more of the Lord in your family, in your school, in your business, whatever that may be. Just tell him. He loves you. I am so grateful he does not hold our failures over our head. He is a forgiving, gracious, loving God. And maybe today is part of him getting our attention. Man, we should respond. Father in heaven, thank you for your great love and grace. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And for the gift of your presence, the Holy Spirit, the one that wants to lead and guide to do all of life with us. Have your way in our hearts and lives today as we respond to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.